0: What's going on, fabulous podcast family? What a privilege and honor to be with you again today. I hope that wherever you are in the world, listening to this broadcast, that you are doing amazing. I am sending you all of my good vibes and energy through the airwaves, wishing you all of the best. We have a tremendous, fabulous, epic episode for you today. We have Kelly DiNardo on, and we are talking about living the sutras. How to embody ancient yogic wisdom in today's world. We cover a lot of topics. She is really an expert in this field, and it is a fabulous, fantastic show. I don't think I've ever said fabulous that many times, Um, but some of the things we cover are what is a sutra, the eight limbs of yoga. Defining Dharma, the work of Patanjali. Geez, I'll have her to say, she says it correctly. Patanjali, I think that's what it is. Uh, Five ways to treat yourself. Five guidelines for showing up in the world. The last three stages are different depths of meditation and why that is, the sutra of cultivating the opposite, uh, meditation as a tool to train your mind, and so much more. That is literally just the tip of the iceberg. I think I have 50 bullet points on YouTube. um, And a friendly reminder, all the shows are on YouTube. Um, So this is a tremendous episode. I know that you're going to enjoy it. If you like it and you wanna spread the vibe, please share it on your Facebook, share it on Instagram, Tag me, tag Kelly. Let us know where you're listening. Let us know if you have any questions. We would love to hear from you. Um, if, If you want to support the show in other ways, you can also leave a review in iTunes. That is absolutely so helpful. And I want to thank Nathan for leaving this one. And it says, transformational shows. Hey, Matt, I've listened to your interviews and got your book. Love what you're sharing. It has helped me with my personal and spiritual development. Keep up the awesome work, much love, man. Well, thank you, Nathan. I very much appreciate you taking the time out of your day to leave that review. They help immensely, so thank you for that. And the best thing that you can do if you want to support this show is do one kind act in your community, in your life today. Uh, Let somebody know you haven't talked to in a while. Just send them a, a kind note. You can pick up a piece of trash, pay it forward. You can say a kind word to someone, let someone in in traffic, get somebody's name when you're getting a coffee or at a restaurant any of those things count. So if you really wanna support the show, then that is the absolute best way to do so. I have also opened and announced the Mastermind Body Spirit Academy, where you will be getting exclusive content, interviews, training, Q&A, videos, and so much more. It has kicked off with an amazing 21-day challenge, and there's an amazing community in there right now with tons of good vibes, everybody supporting each other, they're doing amazing work. Um, There's 21 transformational videos that go that So if you're interested in that, check it out at uh, MattBelair.com and then scroll to the academy or you can go directly by going to bit.ly forward slash MindBodySpirit21. Um, the last thing to say is that for those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you really are serious about uncovering your life purpose, overcoming limiting beliefs, self-sabotage blocks, and you want to program your and design on purpose your preferred reality mentally emotionally spiritually and in every way and then also learn the tools for peak performance law of attraction and all the systems that actually work to make and live a life that you are passionate about by design and on purpose, hit me at MattBellaire.com forward slash coaching, and I will happily help you out. So that wraps it up. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we get into today's show. Oh, and I also thank you to my patrons. I almost forgot this. Thank you to everybody supporting me on Patreon and Marilyn Draper. Thank you so much for tossing a buck in the bucket. It helps immensely. Go to Patreon.com forward slash MattBellaire, put something in there that you won't even think about. It really does help keep the show going. So, all right, Let's get into this amazing episode. Wherever you are, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, inspiration, courage, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Kelly DiNardo hello and welcome to the mastermind body and spirit show i'm your host matt belair today's guest is the author of several books included gilded lily lily st cyr and the striptease mystic and she is also the owner of past tense yoga studio in washington dc her latest book Living the Sutras gives readers a modern, accessible, and personal look at ancient yogic philosophy and the wisdom found within. As a freelance journalist, she specializes in exploration, whether it's internally through yoga and meditation, physically through health and fitness, fitness culturally and socially through profiles, or the myriad of other ways travel brings all of this together. She has written for O, the Oprah magazine, martha stewart living health the new york times national geographic traveler glamour and others welcome to the show kelly dinardo
1: thank you thank you so much for having
0: me yeah i'm so excited to have you on the show i had a really uh, great time looking at all your work i say we're kindred spirits you're traveling the world <laughs> you're kind of like um you know I think you said something in your bio where like somebody's gonna tell me to get a real job one day, but until then, I'm gonna keep traveling. I'm gonna keep doing yoga. I'm gonna keep exploring. Um, I had a chance to look through some of your books, some of the chapters. I really love the outline and the philosophy and the topics you touch, and I think it's so important to bring those ideas into the forefront. It's it's ancient knowledge, it's ancient wisdom for a reason because it can keep continue to uh, be passed down the line, but we need like a modern interpretation of it because the times change, but the wisdom doesn't. So um, it's great to have you on the show. Can you give the listeners just a little bit about who you are, what your background is and uh, what you're up to today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I always knew I wanted to be a writer and That's what I went to university for, to college for, and I was very lucky, got a great job right out of school working for USA Today and USA Weekend Magazine, and it was actually there that my yoga practice became much more consistent. I had had this very on-again, off-again practice for a long time, and when I was uh, working there, they had a great gym, and I was training for my first long distance run. And I started going to a yoga class at their gym every week and got very, very consistent in my practice. And actually staying on the mat for all the reasons people do, um, that was actually one of the reasons my practice really helped me decide to leave my job at USA Today, ironically. And so I left after a few years to freelance. And when I did, um somebody told me gave me great advice and, and said do something every day to get yourself out of the house you know because as freelancers and people who work from home you can go a little nutty and not see people for far too long and so i um i started teaching i had been certified for a while so i started teaching step and sculpting classes at Washington Sports Club and Bally's. This is totally aging myself. Um, <laughs> while I was also freelancing and I had a personal yoga practice and was um, studio hopping all over DC. And my, my boss at the gym knew this and said, well, we're doing a training. Why don't you get certified to, to teach yoga here? So I was freelancing um, for most of my day. But to get out of the house, I was teaching step and sculpting and practicing yoga. And then I started teaching yoga. And this went on for for a few years. And it was probably, I want to say 2008. And magazines and journalism were not doing so well. Um, magazines started closing and laying off staff. And everybody was doing more work in-house. And so there wasn't as much need for freelancers. And um, I just, I started to panic. Honestly, I thought, oh my God, journalism is dying. What am I going to do with my life? And my boyfriend at the time, now husband said, well, if you weren't a journalist, what would you do? And I said, I would open a yoga studio and I don't really know where that answer came from. I had never even worked at a yoga studio. So I didn't, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But, um, once the idea sort of popped into my head, I started to look around at my neighborhood differently. And it was less than six months later that I opened past tense. So I always joke. I had, um, two very poor paying jobs to make up one sort of normal paying (laughs) job. Um, And thankfully, journalism is not dead. It's definitely changed, but it's not dead. And so um, since then, for the last 10 years, I've been juggling both writing and running the studio. And um, my last book was the first time that both of those worlds kind of came together and collided. I met a wonderful yoga teacher, um, in Madison, Wisconsin, where I was living for a little bit and Amy Pierce Hayden. And, uh, we worked on, um, the living the sutras book together. And so that was that it was really different, but fun to have my writing and yoga worlds kind of come together like that. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Well, that's yeah. really yeah. I love that story. It's it's funny because I like how you you referenced a few things, or like how yoga helped you transition. Because I feel like a lot of people they get stuck in a in a job that maybe be providing for them, but they're not really excited about what they're doing. And the yeah. other thing that you said in there that was subtle and I feel is very important is get out of the house every day. So many people, their job is in an office. It's kind of like a box in a box. And I went to yeah. go see that uh, Joe Martino from Collective Evolution and he interviewed me for CETV and he said something I thought was so funny. And he just goes, ah, oh, containers, man. I was like, what? He's just like, all we do is go from container to container and gave me this five minute spiel about his, um, you know, his anger towards containers. And I just thought it was so funny, but it was so true because you're in the building, then you go in the car and then you go to this other space. And how often are we getting outside and just subtle things like that, I feel like are very important just for how you live and yes. and how it might you might not think it's a big deal for like how you make it the next choice but i think that it adds more information than i than people give it credit for in things like a yoga practice to give you that mindset and understanding and that stillness to make a choice that might be unsafe that it's not secure that it's not guaranteed and we kind of need that energy and that understanding and at least that place of stillness or something to give us that courage to make that step
1: Well, I I don't think until, I think both things are necessary, right? And until we give ourselves time and space to be quiet, we can't really hear what we actually need or want. And at the same time, we have to get out of the house and can't just be quiet because we are social beings and we need to be around other people. And I actually think that's one of the things I love most about yoga is that I can be quiet with community. So kind of
0: a two for one. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love the idea of community too. I, I think that I, I thought it was interesting, like not to go on a religious tangents, but uh, <laughs> one of the things church, um, church is community. That's like the meaning of right. it's a group of people getting together. And there's so many wonderful things about that. And I think a lot of people feel alone will choose an ideology and that's totally fine. You know, some of the stories I don't, you know, really totally agree with, but I think the community part is the biggest and best, um, part of that and yoga creates a community and you're Mm -hmm. you're there to have um, an experience but also understand the ideology which is the sutras which I want to get into and I'd love for you to discuss some of your book because I was looking through the chapters I think all of it is very relevant Mm -hmm. and very important especially for today and how most of us are living and the first question will be can you define sutra for people who don't know what word we're saying
1: sure absolutely so sutra means um thread it's where sutra um or sutra for in medical technology where that word comes from and so the yoga sutras are it's a foundational yogic text that helped define what the ashtanga or eight limbed yogic system is and it's written in these short aphorisms or threads of knowledge and um it 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 did not it was written by somebody we call Patanjali. We don't know anything about him. It could have been a him. It could have been a group of gurus. We don't know. And he, this, this text and Patanjali did not create yoga. What they did was codify a system that had been around for a long time. And so um, they did that in, in these sutras, in these very short threads of knowledge.
0: Awesome. Great definition. I like it. And if you go through them, it reminds me a little bit because it kind of has threads and connections to Buddhism. You know, The Eightfold Path I think is really good. I think it's such a positive and well-defined understanding of our bodies, our minds, and how we navigate life. So do you want to talk a little bit about the inspiration of the book and and maybe some of the chapters or the lessons in there that you feel are most important because I think they're all good?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the Yoga Sutras is something most people, most yoga teachers, study in teacher trainings. Um, again, because it's it's a foundational text of our current system. The problem is that a lot of um, a lot of the translations and commentary are very academic, and the text itself, partly because it's over two thousand years old, partly because of how it's written can come across as very dense and esoteric. And so it can be really hard to untangle that. I mean, the first time I studied the sutras was in a teacher training and I went through it and I very quickly put it on a bookshelf and didn't really look at it or think about it for a long time. I mean... For a long time, my practice, my yoga practice was just physical. And I had a variety of teachers who were very skilled at weaving in the philosophy into their classes and in Dharma talks over many, many years. And then when we moved to Madison, I had a wonderful teacher there, my now co-author, Amy and she gives these really beautiful dharma talks, and she makes it very relevant to and very modern to what's going on. So it was the first time the Yoga Sutras actually felt accessible to me. And around the same time, I got, I got a bunch of books to look at to consider for. Um, sources for stories. And two of the books were essentially the same, but they had put the word yoga into the title of one of them and changed the design a little bit. And I flipped through it and it had nothing to do with yoga as I had ever understood it. And I don't know, I got very self-righteous as to how could anyone put the word yoga on something just to sell more of something and like it felt, um, I mean, people put the word yoga on everything to sell all sorts of things. I don't know why this particular instance bothered me so much, but I got very self-righteous about it, super judgmental, definitely grumpy, all the all the ways you want to like think about yoga. And I stomped off to yoga class later that day, still sort of grumpy. And Amy gave this really beautiful Dharma talk at the start of class and I sat there thinking, like, this is what a yoga book should actually be. And it was like, ding, 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 light bulb went off. So I let the idea percolate for a little while. And then I went to Amy and I was like, what do you think about this? Like, I feel like this is missing. I feel like you do this really well in your Dharma talks and like maybe we could collaborate. And it dovetailed really nicely with some things that she had been thinking about, like how to make this philosophy more accessible. But, you know, she's not a writer. So, like, the universe just threw us together to make this to make this happen. So, and now she is a writer. Um, so, well, yeah. So, we spent probably six months to a year, kind of going through it and trying to figure out how to make it really accessible. And we, you know, as we would talk about the sutras, it was really amazing to me how many of how much of this ancient wisdom has been proven by social science, by psychology, by neuroscience. So a lot of our explanations involve studies. And when we talk about the power of habit, we talk about there's a, a very famous uh, psychological experiment where if I tell you for the next minute, you are not allowed to think about a white dog, the only thing you're going to think about is the white dog unless you replace it with something else, unless you replace the white dog with a green elephant, right? Then maybe you won't think about the white dog. And that's very much uh, a a topic in the sutras called cultivating the opposite, right? Like we can't uh, just banish angry or frustrated thoughts. We have to actively replace them with something else, with their opposite. So we put a lot of that kind of stuff into the book to make it really modern and relevant. Um, we compared things to different pop culture, um, things like we talk about everything from the talented Mr. Ripley to *Aesop's fables. I think we have a line in there from fight club. So, um, Dr. Seuss. So we were, um, we were just really trying to make this wisdom super modern and super, Relevant and accessible, I think is probably the best word. Um, try and take that level of denseness out of it. Um, and I think there's the other books out there that exist are really important. And once you have this sort of um, entry level or more modern level um, of information on it, I think that if you're really interested in it, there's some fantastic academic books on all of it that take it even so much deeper than we were able to go.
0: Well, it's fantastic that you're adding the science to it because it seems like that's the way for a lot of these, these understandings, these ancient principles that their science is now catching up to proving those ideas and. Right. When you hear them, they're very simple. Even in Zen, a lot of the teachings are very simple, but sometimes they're so hard to apply and you can hear people or read about these different ideas and sometimes it doesn't have the complete understanding. And then you actually end up going back to the ancient principle. And the one that you shared is so simple. I use that example all the time. I say, don't imagine something, you know, um, you know red sign or whatever. Right. But when I'm coaching, sometimes I'll make it emotional. And the reason why I do that, I'll get them to imagine something bad and I feel bad for doing it, right? Like, like just something that wouldn't be nice, like maybe their dog dying or something. And I was like, how do you feel just from me sharing that story? For you to make sense of what I'm saying, you're automatically creating an emotion. And then to understand that gives you another sense of freedom, another sense of perspective. And then you're totally right because you have to go, so what do I want? What's the thing that I want to replace that with? And for me, I came to a lot of this understanding in sport because – if I, if the thing I didn't want to happen, like fall on my snowboard over a huge jump or, you know, whatever the case is, the consequence would be physical and immediate. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so it created a necessity to have this understanding. And then going through all of these um, different lessons, you notice that so many different teachings and principles and lineages teach very similar things. They're saying the same thing um, in different ways. Are you frozen? Can you hear me? Uh oh, you might have to. Pop I can out. hear oh. you
1: totally fine. You're okay. You're frozen, but I can hear you.
0: Oh no, we both froze. I saw something. Okay, I think I think we're back to good. I think my screen we're froze unfrozen. and yours. Okay. Good, they've released. Okay. Us. So the question, <laughs> the question that I wanted to ask is, uh, first of all, can you define dharma? I've heard it defined in different ways and i've also heard people say living your dharma which i have an understanding of and i'd be curious if it would be the same as yours if, if it's kind of on the right track and then maybe can you go into some of the sutras and and some practical tools that people can have a little bit of a foundational understanding and i'm excited to read the book because i think it's so important that somebody takes those in modern terms because what's happening is our generation, if we were to take this book to kids now, they might not even understand it. And so we do have, um, hopefully people who understand this stuff can keep it going. That's why there's lineages. And I think the work is important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my understanding of Dharma is that I think at its simplest is that it means purpose. Um, And the idea is that each of us has a unique purpose that we are here in the world to fulfill. Um, And uncovering what that is, is probably our greatest challenge. And then actually living that on a, in a continuous and real way is the next challenge, right? So um, uncovering and then living our purpose um, is I think, A a big challenge, and and that's part of what the system of yoga is supposed to be. So, um, you asked me for some of my favorites. So Patanjali um, outlines the eight limbed yogic system, and um, it one of the things that I love is that we talk a lot right now about how we have to you do you, and we have to work on ourselves, and then once we're in a good place, we can do something for the greater good in the world and what patanjali is saying is actually the opposite he, the very first one the first limb is um, a list of five guidelines for how we interact with the world and then the next one is how we interact kind of restraints for how we be, how we behave towards ourselves and then you get you continuously work inward so you start with you know your behavior in the world your behavior with yourself Then you move towards the physical body with asana, which is most of what we focus on in yoga now, but um, is actually about 2% of the yoga sutras. And then you go a little deeper with breath work and then um, controlling the senses. And then the last three are meditation. So one of my big takeaways from this is that we should be working outward in and the other, another one of the big takeaways for me is that the last three limbs basically describe different stages of meditation.
0: Wait, and, I have a question. Yeah. When you say outward in, what do you mean? Like the body first, like taking care of the body and then, because yeah. usually people say inward out. Right, so that's, that's the, the
1: thing. That's yeah. what I think really <laughs> is really interesting is that the eight limb system is outward in. Now with that said, Ashtanga, or that's the eight limbs, but um, anga can mean either limbs or rungs, so you can think about it like successively, like rungs, rings of a ladder, right, and take steps, but you can also think about it like limbs of a tree, so they grow out simultaneously, maybe just at different speeds. So, I don't think what Patanjali is saying is that you have to like get your body in order and then you can do your breath work and then you can do meditation. I think what he's saying is we work on all of these things at the same time and understand that we might, that we might be better along or further along in one area than another. And one area might need more attention than another. But the, uh, the way to get the way to get internal, the way to get inward and to understand our true nature, according to Patanjali, is to be right with the world, to prepare our body, and then you start moving inward through the breath, and then through the senses, and then the mind, um, which is the opposite of what we talk about now. So Got I it. think that was really interesting. Um my other big takeaway from from the sutras is that the last three stages describe different depths of meditation. And so I love the idea that even 2000 years ago, the yogis understood that some days you will drop right into meditation and other days you'll be thinking about everything else and really struggling to to sit. And that to me felt very Um, permissive, right? Like I could just relax and stop beating myself up about it if um, I wasn't falling into my practice easily. So um, those were kind of my big overarching takeaways. And then for some specifics, um, so cultivating the opposite that we already talked about is one of my absolute favorite sutras because it is so immediately practical Um, And the way that I think it's most practical is in terms of how we deal with other people. So um, if you think about somebody who challenges you or annoys you or frustrates you, you can either continue to think about the negatives that that person brings to your life, or you can replace that with some positive. So um, the example I often give is... Uh, I, my mom and I have a what I think is a very typical mother-daughter relationship where sometimes it's great and sometimes it's a little more challenging. And whenever we are in a challenging place, I remind myself that my mom uh, really instilled a love of books and reading in me at a very young age. And she's totally the reason I became a writer, that, that I wanted to do that. And so whenever she's driving me a little nutty, I think, I'm a writer because of my mom. I'm a writer because of my mom. And and so I think applying that to our coworkers or um friends who might be wonderful people but you know maybe we're going through a tough time or whoever um I think remembering that we can't we can't just erase them from our lives we can't replace any frustration but or we can't just dismiss it but we can certainly replace it and focus on the on the opposite that to me is one of my favorites
0: yeah. um and that's a great tool because the thing is it's only you holding that that anger and resentment it's funny like in zen they'll talk about holding the fire and yes. it's you, you could say and this is what people do it's, it's like you are bugging me and you're pissing me off and and, and they will probably be doing something that will justify that But the problem is you're the one holding the fire and anger and in Zen, they're just like, just let that go. But it's not always easy. Right. But to understand that it's possible. And I feel like most people don't even think it's possible. It's like that person said that this is the emotion. This is what's going to happen. But through practice, it gets a little bit easier. And that's where you said at the beginning a little bit about having that space. Yes. When you understand that space and you can observe your thoughts a little bit, it doesn't have to be Zen monk yogi mastery it just needs to have a little bit of um, understanding a little bit of practice and you also made a really great point about meditation and so many people I know and I get it all the time still it's like I don't know how to meditate my mind goes nuts I was like every single person is like that there's not one person that sat down I don't think anyway that meditated and was like oh there's no thoughts in here that's the whole point is to observe your thoughts you know be easier and kinder to yourself and over time you're going to have that bit of awareness that you might not have right now that little bit of space and so it doesn't have to be you know you sit down and and always it's this deep multi-dimensional experience that can come through time and that would be great but it's more important to just observe how much of a maniac you are in your mind and be okay with that like all right." right and as you practice more it'll it'll just become a little bit more clear a little bit more filtered and sometimes you'll get a little bit of a deeper experience
1: yeah. I had somebody recently describe those moments where your mind wanders and you're scattered as opportunities, right? I mean, part of the point of meditation is to train your mind. And so each time it it wanders, it's an opportunity to bring it back, not some failing, right? And so um, he actually described it as training a puppy, right? When a puppy wanders away, when we've called it to come sit, you don't berate the puppy, right? <laughs> so the way you get the puppy to come back is to say, good job, good job, buddy. You Come on, here's a treat. And so if we approach our meditation practice like that, it's a much kinder way of dealing with ourselves. And the fact that we're just human and our minds are going to wander. Which I well, that's it.
0: That really yeah, brilliant. that's a really... Really great analogy, because what it brings up for me is the understanding of that's what we do on a daily life. I know that I do it. And I know that a lot of people that I work with, it seems like a common thing is that we are very uh, hard on ourselves. You know, when we come back, you know, like we're not doing something, we're judging something, we're comparing something, right. we're, we're trying to achieve something, we're rushing over something. And then when it comes back to the mind, we are just beating the piss out of the poor dog. And it's just like, you know, it's just this little puppy and somebody on the podcast shared this once. And I really love the analogy. And it's, uh, I think it was Adam Roa, I'm not sure. I think it was. Shout out, buddy. Um, to treat yourself. And, and it's someone else has said this before, too, I'm sure. It's so like treat yourself like a little kid because your unconscious mind and your internal dialogue. I think there's a reference to this somewhere about the age, but it's like it's actually a child. And yeah. that's how it operates. Your subconscious mind and how you feel and observe. That's a child that we need to cultivate that inner dialogue. And we're these ruthless dictators in our mind. And I would love for you to keep sharing, um, you know, what you were going to go on about uh, as far as what was most important. And also I would love to ask um, if you could quickly go over the five guidelines of showing up in the world, but most importantly, the five ways to treat, treat yourself.
1: Yeah. So one, um, I put together a workshop on the five practices of sustainable happiness is what I call it. And basically this was a way to make this wisdom, Really accessible to people who have never been introduced to it or to understand it, and the way that I break it down is is the first one is to have a moral code, something that guides you in life that is um, it, when we have a moral code and we have tough decisions to make, that is one way we can you know kind of decide does that fit in and so every spiritual discipline has it, right you've got the Ten Commandments um, in yoga. You have the yamas and the niyamas, which are the first two limbs of yoga. They describe, as I said, like how you treat the world and others, and then how you treat yourselves. I hate. They're often called the Ten Commandments of yoga, and I hate that that word commandment feels so dogmatic. Um, but there, it's a guideline. It's your moral code, and so it doesn't. You can choose to follow any of the ones that are out there in the world from different spiritual disciplines or you could create your own. But I think it's really important to have some sort of moral compass and, and guide guidelines. Um, The other, let's see what, this is a good test if I can remember all five. Um, The other one, the second one is to cultivate a gratitude practice. Um, So often we are focused on what is lacking in our lives. And then that creates all sorts of bad behavior like, clinging or aversion. And um, I think one of the best antidotes to those things is to focus on the abundance in our lives. Again, that's cultivating the opposite. And one of the ways that we can do that is through a gratitude practice. And if a gratitude journal um, is works for you, great, but I think it can be really simple. Um, I have a, an almost five-year-old and we don't do bedtime prayers we do bedtime gratitudes um so i think how you have a gratitude practice can be really different i know people who um families who at the end of the day everyone texts each other one thing that they're grateful for and it keeps them connected they have a college age daughter and that keeps them connected with their kid and also sharing you know what what was good in their day so i think that's another a really important practice for um, just kind of general happiness in the world. Um, the third one is um, to cultivate contentment, which sounds kind of odd, but um, it, it's a really important concept in yoga. And the idea is that so often in life, we're chasing happiness. We think, um, I will be happy when I get this promotion, when I get married, when I have kids, when I lose 10 pounds, whatever it might be. And the reality is that just pushes happiness off into the future rather than keeping us grounded in the present. And it also, the other thing that often happens is as soon as we reach that goal, whatever it might be, the nature of humanity is that we then set another goal. So we move the guideposts further down the line. So in yoga, the idea is that if we can cultivate contentment in the present, we'll actually discover full joy. Um, and there, there's some science that shows, has since shown, like actually how to do this. One way is to cultivate a gratitude practice, which, you know, so there's a two for one. Another is um, to, you know, live with purpose, which is harder to discover and actually the number one way um, at least according to science is um, through social connection so the health of your social relationships and your friendships is actually the number one predictor of happiness Um, so that's a really good way to cultivate contentment just reach out and hang out with your friends Um, the fourth practice I say is um, is just to breathe um, so often, we don't even think about our breath until something is wrong with it. And one of the fastest ways you can calm, physically calm your body down and settle your mind is to just make your exhale longer than your inhale. So if you inhale for three and exhale for five or six, and you did that for 10 breaths, that's about a minute. Um, your whole body will calm down it It actually triggers the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic response rate. So that when we're when we're spinning or nervous or anxious, that is the fastest, most immediate thing we can do to start to calm ourselves down. And then the last practice is meditation, which I think is the hardest one, and I think It's also really important for people to know that there are so many different ways and types of meditation that if sitting on a, (coughs) excuse me, if sitting on a cushion and counting your breath is not the way for you. I mean, um, I think walking or gardening can be a meditative practice, but when is it that you are in that quiet space where you can kind of find a flow state and go internal, whatever that is, I think is really important. So those are the, those are the five practices that I think are the really big takeaways from all of this. Um,
0: all of those are, are so fantastic. And one of the things I like you brought up and say, and people may be missing is it's a practice. The yes. ideas for gratitude practice are great. When you are healthy, you're probably practicing physical fitness all the time. I had a couple people reach out recently and, and ask about my physical fitness, you know, and they say, hey, man, like I want to look like you. And I find it interesting because the podcast is on spirituality and mindset. And I get quite a few people in that realm that will ask me about how do I create that body mastery. And one of the things I'll, I'll share is I say, hey, like this is something that I embody all of the time. I'm almost yeah. every day doing something physical because it's a part of my life and it's a way of being. So if you can integrate that over time, right, you're gonna get a different result, but it's not about uh, three days a week or you know what I'm eating or the supplements. Or th- those are all the shiny things. And I feel like even in spirituality and all these other practices like yoga, it's like, what are the best yoga pants? What's my right yoga mat? Um, all of the shiny things where it's just like, you could do yoga in the dirt with nothing, the idea is you got to do the thing that's meat and potatoes. And uh, I don't know why I use that expression, if that even makes any <laughs> sense, especially for the vegans, are losing their mind, especially it's like a yoga one. Now I'll just say, what is it? Like uh, yams and peas. I don't there know. There you go. Uh, I was vegetarian <laughs> for quite some time. Um, probably wasn't a great one. Um, but I think all of those, like what you just shared there is very simple. It's very grounded. It's understandable. And then it becomes the practice to, shift and it takes a bit of time to experience the result just like if you're out of shape and you start to get in shape just like if you want to learn something you want to learn guitar it's going to take some time you got to practice it but once you get those that basic knowledge of meditation cultivating gratitude contentment all those things you're going to have a different experience you're going to be able to navigate life in a very different way it's a more empowering way and so all of that was great i would love for you to just say whatever, if you want to reply to that, but I'd also really love to know, um, what it recommends for the internal and how you treat yourself, because that was great. And I personally just want to know what the internal is. Cause I don't know it right now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mean the the yamas and the niyamas, the moral code?
0: Um, well you said it was the five ways to treat yourself. Is that yeah, what so, the, is that the yeah, same thing?
1: Yeah, that would be the niyamas. So, okay. um, Oh, this is gonna test me if I can remember them <laughs> in order on the spot.
0: I've had that on my podcast too, where like or someone's interviewed me about Zen Athlete, and they're like, What are the things? I was like, Oh crap, I pull up my PDF. I'm like, oh wait, hold on one second. I was like, I should know this off by heart, and I think I missed one. I was like, whoops.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, I'm gonna give you all 10 of the yamas and the niyamas oh, because nice. even though the yamas are um, the 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 outward things, you have to do them for yourself too. So the first one is ahimsa or um, non-harming and non-violence. And and you can think about this in so many different ways. Um, So there's the very obvious ways of like when we think of violence or harming of um, physical violence, right? But there's a lot of um, much more subtle ways that we hurt each other and ourselves. And I think our inner dialogue is the first one to think about we were talking about that with meditation right like we would never talk to other people the way we sometimes talk to ourselves so that is a, a form of harm and that is the umbrella um the umbrella yama right so everything else sort of is more subtle variations of harmfulness but if you can hold on to that to both yourself and how you interact in the world then that um that's amazing uh, then, so it's ahimsa, and then, um, then uh, these might not be in order. Forgive me, yogis. Um, <laughs> uh, then you have um, satya, which is honesty or truthfulness. Um, and again, I think it's really important that, yes, we're not telling blatant lies out in the world, right, to other people, but then our, what are we saying to ourselves, um, and I also think this is a really important one that needs to be taken into consideration under the umbrella of ahimsa, right? Like, just because it's truth doesn't mean you necessarily need to say it. Like, if your mom got you a hideous sweater for Christmas, does she need to know that you don't like it? Did she ask? Does that do anything? So, you have to take honesty into consideration with ahimsa and harmfulness.
0: Yeah, I remember I learned something. I don't know where it came from, doesn't matter, but it was uh, put something through three filters before you hit. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And when you factor in all those three things, it's a more complete understanding, I feel.
1: Yes, I totally agree with that. Um, the third one is a stea, which is non-stealing. And again, this is not just like taking the yogurt out of the office fridge that doesn't belong to you, right? Um, there are much more subtle ways that we steal from ourselves and each other. I mean, I think the my favorite example is time, right? So when we're late to meet someone, we're stealing time from them. When we um, are not in the present moment and when we're distracted by our phones instead of the people in front of us, we're stealing from ourselves and our relationships. So um, that's a, a... that's the third one so we've got okay so (laughs) non-harming truthfulness um, non-stealing and this is where they might start to get out of order Um, then you've got uh, brahmiacharya which so classically it's translated as um, abstinence Um, we look at it more as moderation and the idea here is The idea here is you want to use your energy for the greater good. And that's the part for me that that second part in most conversations about it that gets lost. Like we so often yogis focus on this idea, like, is it abstinence um, or celibacy? Um, Is it moderation and how we use our energy? And I think the piece that's missing is that or often left out of the conversation is that the second part of it is for the greater good or to act with the divine in mind. And so I think for me, it's this idea that our actions should should hopefully impact the greater good in some way. Um, so that's actually become one of my my favorites, right? Like what am I doing today? And is it is it for the greater good? The greater good might be my family. The greater good could be my neighborhood. Um, but am I doing, is this thing that I want, is this for the greater good in some way? So I think that's been a, a really good guideline for me. I'm blanking on one of them. Okay. I'll think of it, <laughs> one of the guidelines. Um, and then, so after you get into the um, the four um, or the five yamas, then there are the niyamas. Um, there's saucha, which is cleanliness or purity. And this is interesting. It's the only one that actually gets two sutras. Um, And the idea here is that, yes, you should, you know, keep your space clean, your mind clean, your your body clean. But the idea is that you are understanding, you're, you're burning away and understanding what is toxic so that you can stay away from it and understand. I mean, I kind of think about it like an internal elimination diet, right? You like purify things so you can understand what it is that's causing you toxicity or causing negativity for you. so let's see. Okay. So there's saucha, yeah. and, and, then- and this is,
0: and this is where it starts to go. The internal ethics, right? Exactly. And I also pull, I pulled up, I Googled it for you. So if you need yes. any help, I, I went in there because I was like, I'll, I'll find this. But I, I think all of these again are so important. So the first ones you shared were the external ethics. Yep. And then yep. this, now we're moving into the internal internal. Ethics. Yeah. Got it. Okay.
1: Yeah. So there's saucha, and then Santosha, which is Cultivating contentment, which we've already talked about, right? So, um, and I think the important thing here with cultivating contentment is that this is a practice to ground you in the present, right? Most, I think, most unhappiness comes from when we're ruminating on the past or we're worrying about the future. And the only thing we can do is be in the present moment, right? The the past is done, it's gone for. And um, you can't do anything about the future. until until you arrive in that moment. So um, I think that's a really important one. And then the last three I love, they are, um, when taken together, they're called Kriya Yoga or Yoga in Action. And the simplest way to think about it is this is basically the, the habit loop or how we change our habits, right? So tapas, Is discipline and it actually means fire or to burn and the idea is that we need to be we need to be disciplined that we need to put in the effort and that that is not always easy and we can't go all out right like so often when we want to change something, we tend to just go all in. Like if we want to lose 10 pounds, we're going to give up all sugar, all carbs, all alcohol. You last two days and that has like just gone thrown out the window. And so this is, this. you have to think about this as like a slow boil um, rather than a uh, full-blown charring of things so that you give up too quickly. And it has to be just enough heat to actually also make you Work towards it, um, and then there's uh, svadhyaya, which I think is really fun to say, and that essentially means self-study or reflection. So after you've put in the work, you have to stop and think, like, okay, is this behavior actually working? Is it changing the habit? Am I improving what's going on here? And then the last one is Ishvara Pranidhana, and that that basically means faith, and I. I don't mean faith as in some, uh, unseen God on high, but more faith in, faith in your effort and faith in that, that you may not know the results of your actions, but there are results. Um, it's faith in more the your internal divinity than some and your internal truth maybe is the better way of describing it rather than like I said, faith in some unseen God on high sort of thing. And so those three all sort of work together to keep, to keep you going, which is why they're called the yoga in action. So those are the last five.
0: So what was the
1: one I forgot?
0: Is it, Uh, I want you to pronounce it. So I don't butcher. Uh, Is it the one with the A? Aparigraha. Aparigraha. Yes. Yes.
1: Um, And so that means non-clinging or non-hoarding, letting go. Right. So um, there are so many ways this is applicable. Um, And again, this comes back, I think, to like when we're chasing after things or when we're clinging to some idea of how things should be. So often when we are hoarding or clinging, I, I think that that comes from some sense of, of deprivation, right? Um, or some, some want, some sense of lack. And so I think that's where a gratitude practice is really important because I think that is a really strong way to um, be able to let go of the things that we are wanting or feel like are lacking.
0: Amazing. That was a fantastic summary. And I remember going through some of that a while ago and it's so great to feel here and a refresher and I could, receive that refresher every single day and that's why it becomes a practice and that's why you yeah. you know you don't necessarily even need to do yoga to understand these things or practice these things or seek another perspective you could find all of this in your own way as an artist as a painter as an athlete as an entrepreneur you can embody all of this in business you can do it in every avenue of your life and what it does is just it it shares such powerful frames and there's a reason why it's so good that it keeps moving forward and because yeah. we are we, humans are very uh, similar i had someone reach out the other day and was um wanting a coaching thing and she's like you know i really struggle with um um, you know, my, it was like limiting beliefs or something. And yeah. I was like, Oh, that's easy. She's like, what do you mean? It's easy. And I was like, well, <laughs> I was like, almost everybody struggles with that. So, you know, I'll share with you so many different tools. If one doesn't work, you're going to get another tool in perspective and you get another tool in perspective. And I feel like that's the combination you need. There's probably like another element you could add, but the first thing is a powerful frame, a re- yeah. perspective around it that allows some freedom and choice and movement. Right. Frame and then a, a tool, right? You know, and then once you have a tool, then you have something you can practice. And it doesn't mean you master it immediately. Unfortunately, it means that you can continue to practice to get results. And you shared all of that. I, I could add on to. And the only thing I would like to say is the the slow boil. And yeah. Recently, I, I was talking to Nathan Kohlerman, and he was talking about habits. And he said, if you change one habit, you're eighty five percent more likely i think this came from atomic habits and i don't know exactly what the stats are but if you want to change one habit 85% so you you can probably change it if you're committed you're going to change that habit you go to two it drops down to maybe 35% and you go three it's like 12 16% something like that and yeah. so what you shared and that's what most people want to do they're like i'm overweight so what i'm going to do is i'm not going to eat this i'm going to go to the gym every day i'm going to do all that stuff and then immediately 2 days after because it's not how it's not we're able to change yeah it's not sustainable yeah. and so if we have a different frame around it and we're okay with the slow idea although we don't want to be um yeah. then you're actually going to change your life direction if you can think of things when i was younger in my 20s i was thinking of things and like what am i going to get today what am i going to get now how can i accomplish this in a week how can i do it in one year how can i do it in such a short amount of time and now that i've gotten older and arguably wiser, probably not. Um, I just had more experience in failure, I think is what's happened. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to give myself 10 years. It is like, maybe I'll have to give myself more years. And when I think like that and talk to other people, it's like, okay, what would you be so excited to give yourself 10 years about? How do you want to progress in that way? What are you willing to fail at and move towards? And, and and that's a much more powerful frame. Um, do you want to add on to any of that?
1: No, I, there's a really interesting, um, there's a, there's a coach, a cycling coach out of, uh, the UK who calls it the 1% rule. And he worked with the British cycling team to change all of these things, all of these habits by 1%. Um, Mm -hmm. the, the pillow they were sleeping on the, the way that they changed, the, a trained just 1%, which is doable. It was totally manageable. And he believed that if we could make all of these little 1% changes, he could get them to get the team to win the Olympics. I think he said in like 10 years, well, they won it the next round of the Olympics, right? So I think it's really important to remember that small changes can have a, make a really big impact. In, in our day and and that you know all of this is about what is sustainable, and so if you have something you are going after that you want to change is to this idea of self study and reflection like really be honest with yourself about the goal and why you want to achieve it, and then create the small disciplines that can help you get there, and then just make sure that you create time to Again, to have that those moments of self reflection. So, is this working? I made this one percent change in my life, and is it working? Is it having an impact? Do I need to change course a little bit? So, I I think that that's where, um, I think that that's where that slow burn and those I think those two things of discipline and self study really interplay. um, It's really important.
0: Those are great examples. It reminds me—I believe it's a Dalai Lama quote where he says, "If you think something small doesn't matter, have you ever tried to sleep in a room with a mosquito?" Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, you know, asking yourself if it's sustainable. Again, it's really great insights. It's just the opposite of how we think and feel. We want it to be so immediate, especially today with instant gratification and yeah. biohacking and the quick yeah. fix and the right pills and all that stuff probably not going to be sustainable you can add those things on later and they may be helpful right uh, right but like you know kettlebell is something that I learned to get fit I use a kettlebell it's like okay cool it doesn't matter what weight I have if I didn't have a kettlebell I could have gone outside and done push-ups I could have run right. I could have done something but I committed to that and we get into this confusion what's the best thing should I be right don't, should I be on the treadmill oh you know what the rowing thing is more important get yeah. your butt to the gym give yourself one simple thing to do you know yeah. do that thing and if you'd like to add on add on so find that simple thing and do it over a sustained period of time it's is so important so i wanted to thank you for your time because i know we're we're, we're coming up on the hour but i wanted to ask before we go um, i would love your recommendation on the best yoga books or podcasts or resources i know that you have a podcast so that's amazing and and i love the philosophy, and you really want to get a person who who knows, you know, a little bit of like, you know, what would be your top yoga books you'd recommend for philosophy and going deeper in this ideology? And then, if someone wants to start a yoga practice, do you have advice for what practice? There's so many different ones.
1: Yeah. So okay. So let's start with the easier question. So if um, somebody wants to start a yoga practice, I I think it's really important to start with a teacher, whether that's um, video that you can see or um, a class in a studio. Most studios have a new student trial of some sort, like 10 10 days for $20, two weeks for $30, something like that. I would 100% take advantage of that Um, Go to beginner classes and try different instructors. I think there's a huge variety of styles and instructors. And I think just try all the different ones and figure out like, oh, I want to move fast, or I want to slow down. And then you can start to ask questions like, oh, are you, you know, do you focus on alignment or do you focus on flow? Or do you do a lot of breath work? Do you do a lot of meditation? And just ask. I mean, email studios, ask them what their specials are, ask them um, what they would recommend. You're going to get a lot from that. I mean, if a studio is not answering those questions, uh, kindly and uh in a way that you feel welcomed then maybe think about if you even want to try that place out you know so i would just say experiment would be my my answer and there are a lot of great um there are a lot of great online um classes so there's a youtube class with a woman yoga with adrian's very popular i'm a big fan of yogadownload.com um which is a great subscription based video service Um, in terms of the philosophy and other podcasts, I love yoga land by, um, Andrea Ferretti and Jason Crandall, and they tackle everything. They tackle, um, asana, they tackle pranayama, they tackle philosophy. Um, and so you can look through there. Um, I really like radically loved by, with Rosie Acosta that, um, that is all over as well. Like she will have guests on to talk about philosophy and spirituality, but she'll also have people who have nothing to do with yoga on to talk about, um, happiness or discipline or grit. She's really fantastic. Um, so those are two of my favorite yoga related ones. Um, I also like, uh, 10% happier, which is more meditation focused, but, um, I'm, I just love everything Sharon Salzberg does, Um, and so she's uh, she's one of the founders of that. So she's often on that podcast. Um, In terms of books, I I, like I said I love pretty much everything Sharon Salzberg does. So I love her her books. She's got uh, real. Hold on, checking. Real happiness is a great one for intro to meditation. Kind of walks you through that. Um, other good philosophy books. Um, Michael Stone has a book called the inner tradition of yoga, which I think is really fantastic. Um, let's see, hold on. I'm going to check my shelf and see who I've got. Um, ah, um, the Four Desires by Rod Stryker. I highly recommend that. So I would say those would be really, really good places to start. Um, Real Happiness by Sharon Salzberg, Four Desires by Rod Stryker. And what was the third one I just said that I'm now blanking on? Oh, the inner Before tradition dives. of yoga.
0: Oh, okay. And yeah. what about, those are great suggestions and I want to look them up. And I'm curious about what about like the ancient ones I see, like when I go there and I try to find, like I read the Bhagavad Gita once and that, yeah. that was, that was very dense. Um, yes. But I see, I see it was a really great book. I re- recommend it. And what about like, you know, how you see like the ancient sutras or the original ones, do you have a reference of which ones are, are the better ones to read?
1: Yes. So, um, and with the Bhagavad Gita, I would go try Stephen Cope's version of that. Um, it's a little bit more accessible. Um, so I would say uh, I think I think our book, Living the Sutras, is like the, a really good entry into it. And then after that, I would recommend uh, this one. Um, it is the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, and it is the translation and commentary by Sri Swami Sachinananda, and I'm so sorry if I'm butchering his name. And then the other one of that, after that one, I would recommend, uh, the translation by Edwin Bryant, which is much more academic and dense and really good. Um, in the back of our book, we list a ton of these different resources, Um, for kind of which ones we recommend. But I think those are the two, like this one is typically found in 200 hour teacher trainings. And then the Edwin Bryant one is typically found in 500 hour teacher trainings. And that's sort of how I would think about them.
0: Right on. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, those are great (laughs) references. And I feel like the way you've written your book and the way that you understand it is a great entry and even like advanced level, like you could be an advanced person and understand those references. And then if you want to go like deeper and a little bit more dense, you kind of keep going down the rabbit hole. And I appreciate your service for creating that because um, when I studied hypnosis a long time ago, one of the main (laughs) principles is if you want to educate someone you want to help like positive hypnosis you know hypnotherapy and you know you can use it for either or you're just trying to you're trying to persuade in some way but the main thing is you got to meet people where they are and so in this book you're meeting people where they are today in the world so they can have a reference of what you're saying to these principles and, and in a relatable way. If I talk to an athlete, it's going to be different than I talk to an entrepreneur. If I different talk to a, a single mother, who's had a terrible life to, you know, the opposite yeah. and we need to, they have a f- reference for the world. And that's how we gain that connection to bring to an understanding. So you're doing good work. I think your book Thank is you. awesome. All of that was fantastic. Very applicable. I learned a lot and really enjoyed it. Is there anything that you wish that I had asked you or you want to talk about before we close it up?
1: No, I think that's great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a fun way to spend a Wednesday morning.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people find more about you if they want to dive deeper?
1: Yes. So I have a website. It's Kellygenardo.com. And you can find from there, you can find a link to our podcast, which is the Living It Podcast. And the website is livingitpodcast.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and all of those places at Kelly Dinardo. And if you're in D.C. and want to come practice at uh, my yoga studio, it's Past Tense Studio. So I'd love to see you.
0: Right um, Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for the work you're doing. And I look forward to staying in touch.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: My pleasure. See you guys. Thanks for watching. Peace. There you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Kelly DiNardo. She truly is an expert in this field, and I love everything that she shared in the deep dive that we went in this podcast. It's interesting because these ancient and timeless principles, they are not complicated and for some reason they're just challenging to do all day every day and that's why we need those reminders and we need to practice so we can live in those states for longer so i invite you to check out kelly's work to check out her book to support her hit us both up on instagram or on facebook tag us let us know where you were listening if you had any questions suggestions and what you liked we would love to hear from you and hear your feedback um Also, if you want to support, please share this episode around to everyone. Uh, It helps immensely. Leave a review on iTunes or support on Patreon. And if you want to become a member of the Mastermind Body and Spirit Academy, you can go to MattBelair.com and click over on Academy and join the 21 Day Transformation Challenge with amazing community. It's going to stay up there and it's going to be 21 video lessons that you can join at any time and you will get access to exclusive content, exclusive guests. Q&A exclusive training videos and lots of exclusive stuff. Um, so hit me up. And uh, yeah, I would love to see you over in the community. For those of you guys who are interested in coaching, just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching if I can support you with anything that we are talking about on this podcast as far as living your life on purpose, living it by design in inspiration fulfillment joy and contentment and i will happily teach you everything that i have learned that helps and have helped a lot of different people really get clear on their vision and how to execute that in their in their daily life so i think that wraps it up thank you guys so much for listening i truly love and appreciate you i hope that you are doing well today let's end this episode by coming to a state of peace and coherence together wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, courage, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.